Lord God, Heavenly Father, who in a time of reviving the church graciously, graciously kindled the light of your saving word and let that light shine in the knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Illumine our hearts that we may always follow your blessed Son and adorn our life with obedience to your word. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Okay, thanks for being here. Thanks for the cookies. Um, thanks for coming upstairs. You know, I don't know, the tables keep moving around. That's okay with me. If you're comfortable, if you don't like them where they are, move them somewhere else. I don't really mind. Make yourselves happy. Um, you know, if, you're t- if it seemed like everything kind of came this way, which is, uh, you know, okay, if that's okay. So on your, uh, you know, we're getting better at taking your money. So on your, uh, on your table, there's a black bag. Uh, we talked about this last time. We're going to, for a couple of weeks, we're going to send some money toward a new theological education fund that is going to put five professors in different places, if I can remember. Some place in the Baltics, um, Vietnam, Guam. Um, help me out. Does anybody else remember? Russia. One more. No, I want to say Malaysia. I know that's open. Um, I got an invitation to teach in Malaysia for two weeks at the seminary there. They're trying to get the church going. Malaysia is an interesting place. They just rounded up a bunch of Methodists for having coffee and uh, cookies and then saying Jesus during it. So it's this interesting place that's advanced enough to you know, have a stop on the pro golf tour, but um, you have to kind of keep your nose clean while you're there since it's a, it seems to be a pretty tightly locked down place in some ways. So there's trying to be a new seminary there. We're kind of negotiating about whether to... A time to go teach there. We'll see what happens. Um, so here we go. Um, this is, as I've told you so many times in the past, my favorite game is you be me, which is, uh, you know, and, and part of the fun of this is trying, is for you to kind of feel what we're feeling. Um, every morning, you know, we talk to Jonathan, we talk to the altar assistants. We're, we're trying to bundle up and keep the pace and make things attractive to you and not have any mistakes and get in a rhythm so you can move around. So, for example, last night, you know, I'm in my own rhythm and I forgot to let folks kneel for the proper preface. And, you know, I'm talking and everybody's kneeling. I'm like, you know, that's all on me because it's not, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, So all these things are happening, but we want to talk about how they happen. It's not without consideration. So what's the point, okay? What's the point of all this stuff? What's the point of that you know, why do we do it the way we do it? Why do we put the time and the money into it? That's, this, is, this whole project consumed much of the last decade. You know, why did we do that? Um, why did we think of that? Why did we choose that? In a word, you know, what it is is maturity. And so I give you uh, the handout here. I'm always reminded of this bit from Ephesians 4.13. You know, what's the point? To mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're all catching up. You know, Jesus says, follow me. We're all catching up. As Luther says, we're trying to be little Christ to each other. And that is not easy. You know, Christ was unbelievably patient, unbelievably loving. You know, he took a lot of shots. I mean, in the end, you know, he gets killed by people who said they really loved him. In fact, the very people he came to save, they destroyed him. And he came back for more. So good. So um, what we're trying to do is emulate that life. And it's, you know, even today on Reformation, I'm very cognizant of the fact that I, that I preach to you much more about sanctification than justification. The reason for that is I'm very confident that this group knows 
that you're saved by grace alone. You can't say more gracious thing than you were dead and you were resurrected. That is the most grace-filled thing there is. But once you've been resurrected, all over, the same Paul who said, by grace through faith alone, once you've been resurrected, that same Paul says, hey, grow up. Live in maturity. I talked about this a little bit at the men's retreat over the weekend. Um, Here's the thing. People's lives are difficult. You know, the economy is tough. People are losing jobs. There's a lot of stress. People who have jobs have just had more stuff piled on them. The world seems like it's a mess. Every night in the news, it feels like things are going crazy. That adds to family stress. And that's beside all the normal stuff you have of your kids growing up and being teenagers and going to college. And now you're parenting your parents, right? Because they're growing older and you have to watch out for their health care too and you may even be supporting them. People's lives are so difficult. What they come to church for is to be forgiven and refreshed. People come to be peaceful. That's why they come. Jesus says, you know, I've come that you might have peace. I've come that you might have joy. Those are the things we're working at. You can't have a congregation. You can't have a church that feels just like the world. The feel has to be completely different. Over and over again, I say to the staff, you've got to feel the room. It's one, of the things you, it's one of the things you really have to be able to do if you work in the church. You've got to feel the room. Like, for example, today, just raise your hand if your heart was strangely warmed when we sang Beautiful Savior a cappella. Yeah, see? Because we know how to push your buttons. That's why. <laughs> Actually, the a cappella part was Jonathan on his own. But, you know, we realize, and every once in a while, I just so this is just an aside, every once in a while we'll say, somebody will say to me, we aren't singing the old favorites, to which I always say, Give me a list of the old favorites, and then we sing them. You know, somebody gave me a list of ten the other day. We got eight. We're through eight. You know, if you if there are things that would make you more joyful, more peaceful, more helpful, you can have those things as best we're able. But I'm going to give you the other side of the equation too. Dear old Pastor Lesh, when I first came here, you know, Lesh was ill and retired, but I met with him several times to kind of get advice. It was very helpful to me, and he was very kind to me. We talked about everything. One of the things we talked about, I just remember one comment. I, 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 one of my early meetings, I had walked through and I said, you know, all these things you have in the sanctuary, do you use this? Where did they come from? The everlasting light, where did that come from? The cross, where did that come from? The altar, how did you get there? We got to the crucifix, and I said, interesting, the crucifix, uh, I'm sorry, the cross, that cross that was on the wall, do you remember that? The, the, the processional cross. So it was there for a long time, but nobody ever touched it or paid it any mind. And I said to him, you know, do you ever use the processional cross? He's, he just starts laughing, like, okay, this ought to be good. And I said, he said, I use it sometimes. He says, you have to know, the last time I used it, somebody came up to me and said, I'm very offended that you used a processional cross. And I said, and what would you say? He said, I'm very offended when we don't. You're supposed to laugh at that point. Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> That's being a pastor right there, because... I got this half of the room who's very offended if we don't use a processional cross, and I got this half that's very offended if we do. Okay, you be me. Now what are you going to do? Well, and the answer is you try to use it just enough that that half stays happy while this half is understanding, and you try not to use it at times so this half is happy while that half is understanding, and then you try to move it to the point where nobody notices. That's exactly what we're trying to do with the incense. You know, if you're watching, if you're paying attention... You know, what we would love to do is be able to use incense every week because it's what the church has always done, but we'd like to do it in a way that is absolutely non-offensive. And so we're practicing. We don't break it out at every service. 
we break it out when we feel confident we can practice a bit. So, you know, last time, the last two times we've used it, we've used so little that it's gone out by the time we've made And then somebody said, is it invisible incense? <laughs> you know, no, what it is is, you know, we're actually counting the grains that we're dropping on the coal. We're up to eight grains. You know, if you just put a spoon on and let it go, everything is fine. What we're trying to do is get the visual and just a touch of smell, just enough smell that people who are allergic don't have a reaction and people who want it get it. It's always about, you know, kind of controlling the feel producing the feel that, and I know this is very strange, tries to keep everybody not happy but satisfied. So everybody kind of feels that they've got what they need, and then, you know, it's why today you heard a Taze piece, Beautiful Savior, A Mighty Fortress, and a Gregorian piece. Because I got all kinds of people who like all different things. So everybody tries to get a little bit, and when it's not the thing that just absolutely positively gets you going... Then you say, well, there's somebody else in here who loves that, and you're happy for them. Make sense? Trying to get you to be happy for each other. So that we have a peaceful place. You need a big enough footprint so that you all feel welcome, peaceful, and joyful. But it it, it can't just be anything goes. So part of being a pastor is to kind of try to feel that and listen. Now, if you come and demand, you know, and I'm going to give you some demand examples in a second, I've got to have this or I'm leaving. Um, I can't help you. You know, I just really can't. I once had somebody, I was teaching at Fort Wayne, um, and I got this emergency message as soon as I got home to St. John. I had to, so I taught all week and I was preaching on the weekend, but I had this emergency meeting on Saturday. What was the emergency meeting? Somebody came in and said, hey, if I don't read the lessons from the lectern, I'm leaving the congregation. I said, really? Yeah, I'm going to read the lessons from the lectern. I think I have that gift. I'm like, yeah, but I'm the pastor. Well, if I don't read it, I'm leaving. That puts your pastor in a very difficult position. No pastor wants to see somebody leave. On the other hand, um, it's a little like when you were in prison. You know, the first guy asks for your shirt. If you give him your shirt, then what happens? The next guy asks for your pants. The next guy asks for your shoes. Pretty soon you're standing there buck naked because you didn't know how to say no. See, you don't want to admit you've been in prison. I understand that. (laughs) I understand that's an embarrassing thing for most of you. I get that. But at some point, you have, to, you have to be able to choose your battles. Otherwise, just watch, watch House and you'll get the whole deal, okay? So, um, all right. Yes? I have a question on that line. Someone asked me the other day, why are we so stressed in life? Well, there's a practical answer. Yeah, because we have to get from back to front. We've got to get in the building. So a very practical answer. We get, so there's a practical answer. We have to get in the building. So actually, just take the practical side. So we come in a new place. We used to dress in the back, and we could just walk right out. We were right there. I mean, you open the door, and you're there. Now it's like we dress over here. How are we going to get in there? I mean, it's a really practical thing. Like, you, you say to yourself, how do, you, how do you get in there? We could sneak up the side. You know, we could get in the back and come out. So partly, you just say to yourself, how are we going to get in? And then you say to yourself, well... The church has a long history of processing. I mean, the church has always processed. That's what churches do. And now here's the other bit. It's fun. So, um, and I'll tell you why it's fun. There's going to be two reasons it's fun. One is, as soon as Mueller, um, you've seen Stripes, right? Hey, we're walking. Okay, so as soon as Mueller can get the, get the um, choir to walk, there might be times where the choir might process. And often you split the procession by different crucifixes. Guess what? We got some extra crucifixes. The other thing is, there's been more and more kids who um, 
So we had this, so, so one is we got to get in, two is it's fun, three is the church has always done it, four is it lets us use other people. So I'll just give you an example. We had so much trouble with acolytes showing up. We were always acolyting that in frustration we sort of said there won't be any acolytes. Now a really interesting thing is happening. Kids are starting to say, couldn't I, can I, could I just, see, we moved it out from the law under the gospel. So there might be a point where you have kids process. Now exactly how we'll do that. Here's a real problem. You have acolytes, but we don't have any candles that kids can reach. They're all like nine feet tall, right? So that's, a good, you know, so we have to think about that. But there are things they could process, like, here's the thing. Wouldn't you like to be the kid that got to process the sensor? I mean, come on. Wouldn't it be fun to let's set something on fire right before you go into church? <laughs> or to have them take the offering, for example. You could start to use kids for those kinds of things. So it just is, there's a practical reason. There's a practical reason for doing it. And then um, there's also the historical reason. And then there's also just the fun reason. And then there's the also the it gets more people involved. So we did things like left the aisle wide enough or left the medallion big enough that if there was something where a choir or a quartet or an octet wanted to sing in the midst, they could do that. Very common thing, especially in Tizay settings, to have... You not have your folks in the balcony, but to have them in the midst and have the congregation wrapped around them. And then you have this great voice that comes right out of the middle and gives everybody confidence, right? So there's just a range of possibilities. But right now we're just pedaling as fast as we can. You know, like we're just trying to figure out. So basically what's happened, and this is just to press the art. Sometimes people have said to me, how come we don't have one of these? We don't have one of these. How about one of those? And the answer is we spend all the money that we had, and now we just have to kind of be careful. The other thing is we have to kind of grow into our space. You know, so I'll give you an example. There were supposed to be two lights in the back chapel, two big dominant lights that would... And at the end of the day, we couldn't actually find exactly the thing, so we just capped the holes and said, we're not going to do that right now. You know, maybe we'll come to that someday, maybe we won't. There's so many of these things that we're just trying to live in the space and see how it feels. By the way, your cantor, Jonathan Mueller, under Getting New Things... Um, your prodigal cantor has a new $20,000, $27,000 harpsichord. Did you play it this morning? Where is he? Stand up and admit your guilt. There he is. Did you actually, did you play it this morning before I came in? Oh, you played it last night. It was gorgeous. Had several. But the, of course, the question is, you know, harpsichords are expensive. Hey, guess what? There was a church who moved to contemporary worship who put it on, literally, on the trash heap. And Mueller, he spends most of his time, you know, dumpster diving. So, um... <laughs> You know, he comes up with a $27,000 instrument for free, and all he had to do was have it tuned. So congratulations, well done. Uh, but that's the sort of thing, these, these sort of new things happen, you know. But that was a whole different, that was a whole different fun sound. Or like the, you had five guys. Were you singing this morning or just directing? Okay, so it was very nice. I was just going to, you know, I can see kind of who was there, and it was very nice, those, those four or five male voices, depending on if you were singing or not. All these things we're just trying to try. So it's a very good question. A lot of it is we just have all these new opportunities now. What we have to do is figure out how much we can do, how much you can take, not make you cranky, how much we can do that's new and keeps things alive. It's all in kind of the, and in some ways we react to you, but not too much. We listen. Is that too much? It's not too much. It's too fast. It's too slow. Right now, we're, I'll just tell you, we're kind of in a period of consolidation. We know this was a lot of change for you to come into the new place. We know there's a lot of new things like kneeling. We're going to talk about that today. The bell at the, we know all that. 
we got to figure out just kind of, it, it really depends on you. We're trying to gauge how much we can do and how fast. And like every pollster, you know, we throw out the radical one end and the radical other end, and we kind of listen in the middle. But see, that's what's helpful for us. So we're, trying, we're just trying to figure it out. So all that from a question about the procession. But that's, that's the truth, you know. The truth is we're looking at it going, can we, can we do this? Yes, please. Yeah. Having the young families up front. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I have, uh, I have encouraged that a little bit, although, you know, of course, that's very risky. So there was a, so the question is, have we encouraged young families to move to the front? Practical reason, we found out that underneath the balcony, it feels, it's like a band shell. So if your kid cries under the balcony, it goes way out, right? So you'd think it would be less noisy, but it's more noisy. However, you know, intellectually, we know that. It doesn't feel right to have your kid in the front. So, and I'll just be real honest with you. This is great today at the first service. There was a, somebody somewhere, a kid that was crying. And I was in my head, I recognize it, and I'm thinking, this is great. They're holding on. Like, whoever it was, and I want to say this in the most positive way, thank you very much. Because what happened is, you know, we were, it was during the distribution. What happened is, is we're distributing. We can hear it. The musicians just went on. The congregation embraced it. Now, what's our goal? We want to keep kids in the service, Right. And yet, the other thing is, if your kid just goes absolutely berserk, there's some line where you get across, and then you take him out, and you relax, and you bring him back in. But whoever it was, and I don't, I don't know who it was, but all I want to say is thank you and congratulations. They were very patient, and they gave their kid, that was almost the template for what should happen. You know, they, they sort of, you know, relaxed into it. They tried to calm the kid. I think eventually maybe the kid went out, but I think came back. So that's exactly what we want. And you can't, you know, this is just under being a good neighbor. If your kid cries, you don't look at the people and, like, just give them this, like. <laughs> because then what happens? People don't come to church. Why? Because they don't feel peaceful and joyful. They feel like, I'm an embarrassment. I'll stay home until they're 19. We can't have that, right? Yeah, we know that the choir prepared, but they're very, they're very kind people. They'll relax into it because it should feel like a family, not a dysfunctional family. A biblical family where, we're, where we kind of give and take and push and pull and we kind of reason together and say, you know, this and not that and we'll try that and okay and maybe we should and, you know, that's what we're aiming for. So, so many, so many good things happen. All under being mature. Make sense? So you're right. Um, making it happen, I just don't know. It's a bold risk. You know why? What parents are afraid of is if they sit in the very front row and they have to walk down the aisle with their screamy kid, what's everybody do? <laughs> right? In the back, at least, you don't have the shame of everybody looking at you as you go. But if, you can, if we can be a congregation that doesn't even notice, like, yeah, that's good, because we want that kid to, oh, I don't know, go to Sunday school, come back to confirmation, go to pastor chat, and, you know, come to church when they're in high school and college. If we can be that kind of congregation, then you're not going to stare the family down. You're going to maybe even sit next to them and help them out when they got a, like, the mom's trying to get a bottle and a nook and, you know, rope in the other kids all at once. By the way, we do have a program for that. Pastor Nelson has pew parents who kind of sit next to young families and help them out. So if you want to, if you miss having a kid in your arms, we can help you. (laughs) Okay? That's what's, that's cool. Yeah, Karen, that should be great, you know? So, okay, make sense? So everything. So I... 
they do sometimes, the only thing is, they do behave better in the front, except when the chips are down. Because the kids can actually feel like, it's like the grocery store. When your kid goes down on the floor in the grocery store, you've got a couple of bad options. Okay? <laughs> but the worst one is what? You give them what they want and take them out to the car. So the best thing to do is just to stand back and let them go. Because at some point, like, the bagger's going to come over and the assistant manager, and they'll then clean up in aisle three, and it's your kid. And it, eventually, they'll be so shamed. So, you know, it's a, it's a hard, if your kid realizes if they sit in front, they really have control of you, don't tell them, then you know. So we want to be a welcoming kind of place. Right. I actually agree with that. There's more going on up front, um, and that's, that's good. And actually, when they're up front, to be honest with you, we can make... Pastors and people who are at the altar can actually make eye t- contact with your kid, usually in the way of the gospel, occasionally in the way of the law. <laughs> but um, we can look at your kid. Like if your kid is, is at a squirming at the altar rail, we'll often touch your child, which uh, that often settles kids. Just to have somebody who's dressed up touch your child often just sort of is like, I'm in a different place, or even bend down and whisper to him. You know, that actually, so it's just an extension of what you're saying is having them close, you can manage things better. So we're just trying to, we're just trying to create this space. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, there is some of that, and there's also the, you're right, there's, so there's this movement that Christ comes to us, and it's also, you know, it shouldn't be lost on you that, you know, the movement is between the font and the altar, which is exactly the Emmaus story. The Emmaus story on Easter is the story of the liturgy. Jesus comes to people, he reads the scriptures, he interprets them for them, and then he celebrates the Eucharist, and then he disappears. That's exactly what happens on Sunday morning. So, you know, it costs us an upcharge of, I don't know, $17,000 to get stone from Jerusalem rather than tile. We paid the upcharge because every time you stand on the stone from Jerusalem, you should say to yourself, this is the way that Jesus walked, okay? And in three years, nobody will ever remember that there was an upcharge for it. But, you know, it'll... There's all these little things, and if you don't do it, when you move in, you will never do it. I can just tell you, because we got 15 things we should be doing, like adding a few more speakers, doing a little bit more with the lights, blah, 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 we'll never do it until the money appears for it to happen. So you have to, on your first swing, you have to get in a place that you can live with for a while, and then let things come as they come. Okay? It is an advantage because it's kind of like growing, growing, growing into your house. Right. You can the add things in. That's right. So, and there's uh, people. It helps people find their spot. New people and older people. Okay, so you get the sense of it. What we're trying to do, and just just take a look at this text. Then, just you know, what's the point? The point is maturity, to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There are all kinds of churches that have other ideas of what they're aiming at. That's okay. In this church, what we're aiming at is for you to become mature. Not cranky mature, not superior mature, not we're better than anybody else mature. Mature in the sense that when a kid sits in the front row and cries, you don't even notice, right? Mature that when you sit in the front row with your kid, you let him go for a while, and then when it gets over the top, 
you know that everybody loves you and you walk them out and you walk them back. Mature in the sense of living together and loving each other. You know, you're not all the same. So, so one mistake would be if it was only this big, right? The other mistake would be is if we tried to do everything. Because it's very hard to do a few things well. If we try to do everything well, we can't do that. So there's something that looks like this. And all of you and the other people who come can all be... Now, some of you are up here and some of you are over here and part of you are over here. But you're kind of in the, the like this, and that's okay. And you speak kindly of people and you don't complain and you, you, know, you understand what the, what the aim is, what the method is. That we're all mature, and one of the things of being mature is to be patient and forbearing, right? So, you know, it's not exactly what you would want every time, but you got something. That's my goal. It may not be exactly what you want, but I'm trying to give you something. And if you have something that you just got to have that you're not getting, in a very kind way, you should come and talk to me. But don't threaten me, because I can't help you if you threaten me. I, I just can't, because then... There's no negotiation. There's no sort of back and forth. There's no maturity. A threat is all or nothing. It's either I'll destroy you or you'll destroy me. That's not the way the church should work. The church should work with all this kind of pulling on the same end of the rope. What I'm trying to do over the course of this Bible study is tell you where I think we're pulling the rope. And I realize there's tons of other churches that do tons of different ways. God bless them. I hope they flourish. That's not my business. My business is this church, this congregation, and your business is this church. That makes sense? I just so just you know, I think it's the right way to go. Yes, Don. Yeah, I do too. I think the kids in church are stunned. Like the Strutzel boys, my mom had four boys. Poor Rachel Strutzel, that poor woman. Um, and Matt, she's got five boys. You're right, Matt. I forgot. She's got five boys. She has to watch out for. Yeah, actually, the 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 the, the kids in this congregation are spectacular. But that's a lot because their parents are spectacular. Their parents are paying attention. And if you can, you and I, who are around them, can be spectacular too, it's just going to be a great, because then what will happen? Somebody walks in, you know, today. I mean, I can just tell you, there was a first service. There was a there were family visiting. They went to the Eucharist, but they didn't quite know what to do. They walked away with their little glasses, and then they had to walk back. And I knew they were a little embarrassed, and I actually talked to them a little bit while they were there, like, you know, because... That has to all be okay. And at the door, they were very, very happy. I mean, they were happy that somebody talked to them. They were happy that somebody helped them. They weren't embarrassed. Life's good. And the kid was just glowing, you know. That's what you want. You want to, you want to make people feel welcome and loved. You know, it's, it's home for kids, too. Make sense? That's where we're going. And that's all under maturity. So what we're pushing you toward is um, that we all, you know, the last line, that we grow together and build ourselves up in love. Um, as one of you said to me, you know, very cleverly, and I give you, I'm at the bottom of the first page, well, the aim here is always um, more meat eaters and less milk drinkers. That's how scripture talks. And I gave you the, I gave you the verses, um, right of the Hebrews, and then Paul also says, uh, so it's in two different places, two different authors, hey, our whole goal is to grow up from milk to meat. Our whole goal is to grow up. If you, if you and I can be a mature congregation, if we can be the kind of congregation that we look each other in the eye, that we tell the truth, that everything is above board, that we live in the light. If we can be that kind of a congregation calmly, even when the press is on a little bit, then it's the kind of congregation where you can say to your friends, man, your life is all messed up, but I can take you to my church where at least for that hour, things revolve around Christ.
That's what we're aiming for, and that's what makes a church um, grow. So how do we do that? Point two, you basically touch folks with the gospel, and then we extol things that talk about the gospel. So the gospel is Jesus as he comes to us in his spoken word, in baptism, and in the Eucharist. And the spoken word goes to absolution, to preaching. It goes to when you say to somebody, I love you and I forgive you. That's all spoken gospel stuff. When you say to somebody, I love you and I forgive you, you say that to your wife, your kid, somebody you are angry at, that's all gospel stuff. You're putting Jesus right to them. You're putting the touch of Jesus on them. And um, if you can do this, I'm going to just have you go to almost the very last thing. That's not a Bruzek abstraction. Um, gosh, I think I quoted it for you here. Hold on. Oh, it's the very next page. Just look at point number six. Um, we're going to come back, but the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, this is how you're going to bless my people. This is how you bless people. You know how you bless them? Look at the last line. You take my name and you put it on them. I mean, you actually take the name. You know, it's a thing. You take it and you actually put it on them. That's what you do. That's what you do at baptism. You put name on people. That's what you do at absolution. You put the name. It's a real thing. It's the name of God. And you take it and you put it on somebody. And when it touches them, God is present and he blesses them. That's what happens in the invocation and in the benediction. That's what's happened in the reading of the word. That's what happens in preaching. The name of God is put on people. That's what happens when you say to somebody, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. That's what happens. The name is put on, and that's how you bless people. So hold that, because it's a real thing. So we want to say, if we really believe that, if we think that what happens in church is that we actually put the name of God on people, among other things, we also put the body and blood of God on people, We also put the blessing of God on people. If we really think that that's done and it's important and it's true and it helps, we should be so grateful for that that we should honor it. If it's a real thing, if it's a a real thing, if you really believe it happens, then we should extol that, acclaim it, honor that, pay attention to it, rejoice in it, be thankful for it, okay? So, um, point number three. And actually, this with Penny's question, we sort of talk with this. You know, at what how, one of the big questions for us is pace. So our question is how much you can take, how much is good for you, and this is different in every congregation. You know, how much can you take? Like a real question for me was not the kneelers. We kind of committed to that when we bought the pews. But I'll tell you, a real question for me was kneeling before the Eucharist. You know, that was a long discussion among the pastors. Um, you know, do we do this? How would you react to that? Would that seem to be too much for you? You've already knelt once. Will it go easily? Is it disruptive? You know, we had a long, long talk over a couple of months about that kind of stuff. You know, how much can you take? How much do you want? How will you react to it? We're always trying to figure that out. But I will tell you this. We're always, and this is, this is a judgment call, and I could be right and I could be wrong, and I can see some places in the past where things I've done haven't worked out because of this, and I can see some places in the past where things have worked out precisely because I've done this. So here's the question for me. This is the you be me. When you're doing things in a church, do you move at the pace of your fastest members or your slowest members? 
Okay, so let, let's just take that as an open question. Don't cheat and look on the page. I just want to ask you, if you were me, so I have all kinds of people. I have people who are just baptized. I have people who went through eighth grade confirmation who are 80 years old and have never opened a Bible since. I have young, restless people who want to charge ahead with everything. They wish we'd light more things on fire, right? <laughs> and we're trying to make a home for all these people. So the question really is, I mean, when you say to yourself, what should I do? Penny, even, should I process or not? You know, the question is, what should I do? Do I move at the pace of people who think it's historical, fun, practical, and will get kids and families involved? Or do I move at the pace of people say, who say, when you use a processional cross, that offends me. You know, what, do I, what do I do? It's a real question. So I'm just curious, what are the possibilities? Ramona. Yes. You know what would, what would really be helpful for me is if your 13-year-old could turn over the data. Because, uh, well, I'm curious too. If it helps him, just so, you, just so he knows, at 14 minutes after the start, um, uh, between 14 and 16 minutes after the start, the pastor should be in the pulpit. And between 28 and 30 minutes after the start, he should be done. So I'm just telling you, this is how we do it. Because I'm doing the same thing. Yep. <laughs> if everything works out, um, by 56 minutes after we start, the last person has been communed, and the pastor has just dismissed the congregation. And that puts us out at the benediction at exactly 60 minutes. We know exactly where we should be, which is why I actually like your child, because uh, we do exactly the same thing. Now, I will tell you what crosses us up. I'll be real honest. If we don't get a full rail, that crosses us up, right? Or if we, um, you know, if we don't get people, if, if we don't keep the pace, if we don't stay together as a clump, it crosses us up. If the choir sings one too many bits, it crosses us up. I mean, this whole, there's this whole thing going on between us and uh, um, Mueller is up there. He's like looking, he's guessing, are they going to do that? How much is in the chalice? Do I play a little extra here? Do I go one more time? That's all happening. Now, you shouldn't all be thinking about that, but that's what we're thinking about. So actually, your kid's not far from the kingdom. Mr. Houndstein. Good. So one reason to go with the fastest is you hope to bring along the rest. Um... That can have some unintended consequences, like it feels like a death march, yeah. So um, you destroy the weak and the new. That can be if the, so you're right, you can move at the pace of the fastest, but you can, you can, lead the, you can leave at that pace, I'm, just, I'm not disagreeing, I'm just observing, the old, the infirm, and the stodgy behind. And they can suddenly feel like that church isn't my church. What else? Yes, please. Good? Absolutely, good. Good, so you said three really good things. So I'll just work them backwards. Let's try to remember them together. One is to communicate. This is my great defense of communication. I've done this. This is the second or third time I've done this. So, well, I'll just say it's the second huge time. I did it for two years when I first came. Then the new members class is exactly what we're doing here, and now we're doing it again. So I completely agree with the communication, and my answer to that is, Sunday morning Bible study or Saturday morning catechumenate because it's a free-for-all. Now, back up. You had two. Free-for-all means we aren't trying to jam things into you. We want to actually talk to you about it. And any question is live. So as you've noticed, I hope, in, this, in these weeks, any question is live. You actually said both sides of the argument. So um, 
don't offend the weak by pushing them too hard, and yet you said there's a place where Paul wants you to go. You invoke the weaker brother. My favorite weaker brother story is I once had a friend who gave a lecture at um, a Baptist college. They took him out for dinner, as often happens afterward, and he was the first one to order, and he ordered a glass of wine. <laughs> Uh-oh. So um, um, one of the guys on the board of directors, you know, said to him, um, you've ordered alcohol? That deeply offends me. And, of course, he, being a clever philosophy guy, said, if you, would, if you admit to, that you're the weaker brother, I'll cancel the order. Yes, so one of the problems with weaker brothers is, this is a, but there's a moral to the story. One of the problems with weaker brothers is, weaker brothers are often invoked not as weakness, but rather as an excuse to get your way. Don't offend me, I'm the weaker brother. So here's the thing, if you, and this will take the smarty pants nature out of it. If you admit that you're the weaker brother, like I really have a weakness and this is really going to hurt me, that's one conversation. If it's, this isn't my preference and you're doing something I don't like, that's a whole other conversation. So it's important to separate those two. Paul meant the first thing. So Paul ate meat all the time. Otherwise, what did he do at Passover? Right? I mean, what did he do? He didn't give up having lamb. But when he was amidst the vegetarians, hey, soy sauce, please? Okay? Mr. Hopkins. That, I'm sorry, I thought you were done. No. That actually probably, that's, um, there's so many things we can learn from the Marines. <laughs> uh, now it was the circling back and encouraging people that was probably the most helpful thing there. So whoever leads that run has to figure out what the pace could be. Because that person, I guess, runs all the time. And then you have these new people who might be just a little overweight when they come to boot camp. Right? So yeah, okay. Anything else? Yes, please, Jonathan. Wow. I'm not through, Jonathan. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Mr. Lost. Ah, yeah. Dad, did you hear all that, or do I need to say that again? Actually, it makes great sense. Um, I think you're right. That's probably the, the right thing. But I think it's maybe the best thing in all of that is by actually saying, when you say this is, you use core concepts, we sort of say this is what we confess. This is what we believe, and that's what we're pulling toward, and how can we help everybody grab onto that? That's what we're trying to do. I think um, sometimes we've moved too fast. I'm well aware of that and, and sometimes hurt people with that. Sometimes we've moved too slowly, and we've hurt people that way too. There are some things, like building a new sanctuary or a new nave, that force speed. I mean, at some point, the longer you pull it out, the more it costs, the more headaches there are, the more meetings there are. Sometimes you just have to take a big gulp, just so you know, and I, I will stop here because I understand the three-minute warning. Thanks, Jonathan. I actually appreciate that. We understand that the last year or so has been a big gulp as we moved over here. So really, what we're trying to do is just sort of let things settle in. We knew there would be an opportunity to introduce some new things. You know, obviously, we're not going to pay for kneelers and not kneel. We <coughs> talked about that for years in advance. But how much to do it and when, how much you can take, you know, we're trying to trying to settle in at kind of a higher level, and that might take months into a year for that to happen. We're trying to figure that out. On the same things, there are some things we got to do. The procession thing was such a helpful comment because there are some things we have to do, like we actually have to get in the building, and so then we have to think about how we're going to get in the building, right? So the procession is new, but we do it because that's a new thing. But other things we don't have to do. And so we're trying to figure out how much you can take, 
how much you can settle in. The other advantage is, is new people who um, want a new thing, it just might feel like home. I was struck last night. You know, on Saturday nights, last thing, on Saturday nights, there's not many people come, 100 people. Grateful for them, they come, but, you know, when there's 100 people, you can kind of tell who's there. Honestly, I looked up right after the announcements last night. There was a guy who came in, never seen him before. He comes to the pew, and he does the old Lutheran thing, which you may recognize as the old Catholic thing, but it's the old Lutheran thing, which is before he went to his pew, he crossed himself, and then he genuflected at the icon, and then he sat down. And I'm like, well, I knew he wasn't one of you guys. So uh, <laughs> I'm like, hey, a visitor. <laughs> but I was like... What the, I mean, and I didn't, I couldn't get to him, you know, part of the problem is I couldn't get to him before he left, I mean, but I'm like, who is that guy, because he obviously knows what's going on, you know, and he, and so I'm just curious, because that was his normal practice, and if you had, two generations back, that was what your great-grandparents did too, by the way, that two generations, a hundred years ago, that's what Lutherans did, it got lost in the, in the 1900s, uh, you know, but a hundred years ago, you know, you know, nineteen forty, that got lost. But that was what people always did. So you can take this with you. I tell you what, we'll do next week. I'll clean up the rest of this. Pastor Gainig is doing his sister's wedding in Detroit this weekend, so he'll be back. He can clean up what he's got, and then the following week the Gainigs go. So we'll have a week off. But read what I've given you. Take a look at it, and know that we're trying to figure it out. But you have to feed. Please, what I'm begging for you is this: know that this is what we face. We're trying to pay attention to you. Um, you know, bring concerns and bring concrete suggestions, but know that I've got that coming from you know five or six hundred people, and know that you're all in it together. And we're tr- what we're trying to find is this sort of it's not this big, it's not this big, it's like this where you can all find a place and kind of love each other and play nice together. Does that make sense? And feel good about where you're going. And then ultimately, last thing, people join the church because of you, not because of me. People join the church because you say, my church is peaceful and joyful, and it's a great place to get my sins forgiven and to be strengthened for the week ahead. That's why they join the church. They join the church because of you, not because of me. 70% of the people join the church because they have a friend who said, you should come to my church. It's that simple. Okay. So what we're trying to do is create a place for you where, you know, we said this another way, we church you and you church the world. We're trying to create a place for you where you feel well-churched, you know, always stretched a little bit, but then coming back, resting a bit, but stretched a little bit, learning more, knowing more, but you feel peaceful and joyful. And then you say to people, this is great. That's what we're aiming at. And we're trying to do that by as much as we can keeping all these interesting and exciting things going that strengthen your faith, the gospel, and what extols the gospel. So a crucifix is not the gospel per se, but it tells you all about Jesus, as opposed to the gospel book, which is Jesus. He lives in there, which is why you might bow your head to a crucifix, but you would kiss the gospel book, because they're different. It's the same tune, but they they slightly different verses, okay? Got it? So we'll come back and do more of that next week. Thank you very much. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much. See you next week.